and welcome to the third episode of TV Watch, a new podcast from Digital TV Europe, looking at the biggest news and trends in the world of broadcasting, streaming, and everything else to do with the TV industry in Europe and further afield. I'm Jonathan Easton, Deputy Editor of Digital TV Europe. On today's show, we take a look at the evolution of piracy from the selling of dodgy counterfeit DVDs outside of a supermarket to the current wild west of social media and the internet. Piracy is front and centre in the news at the moment. In fact, one of the biggest stories at the time of recording is the move from Saudi Arabia to permanently ban Qatar's being media from the kingdom after it carried out a years-long state-sponsored piracy campaign. And that's not a campaign from Qatar, that's a campaign from Saudi Arabia, a network wittily dubbed Be Out Q. We can safely call Be Out Q state-sponsored following a ruling from the World Trade Organization, which found that the pirate network's operation is indeed facilitated and, dare I say, run by the Saudi government. And while the story continues to rage on as the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, which so happens to be chaired by Saudi's controversial Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, looks to acquire English football club Newcastle United, there have been a significant number of piracy wins much close to home over the past few weeks. These range from the Metropolitan Police sentencing a man from Greater Manchester for making over £100,000 through the sale of illicit streaming devices, or ISDs, on a private Facebook group, to a continent-wide takedown of a pirate network with more than 2 million paying customers by Europol. This was a highly coordinated network which offered access to more than 40,000 TV channels, movies, documentaries and other digital content via websites hosted on an international network of servers. It was distributing content in Europe, Asia and the Middle East and then laundering all of the criminal proceeds. Suffice to say that piracy has become a lot more sophisticated than the days of distributing pirate DVDs in cellophane wrappers. And that's without mentioning the minefield of trying to monitor and shut down illegal streams of live sporting events. My guest today is Kieran Sharp, CEO of the Federation Against Copyright Theft, or FACT for short. Kieran has been with FACT since 2006, spending the past three and a half years as its CEO. Prior to that, he had a 30-plus year police career, during which time he had a four-year secondment to Interpol as head of the Economic Crime Department and culminated his stint with the police as Detective Chief Superintendent in charge of specialist crime operations. And I am delighted to say that he is joining me right now. Hi, Karen. Before we start, can you give a brief outline of fact for some of our international listeners who might not be so familiar with what you do? Yes, certainly. Um, FACT is uh, otherwise known as the Federation Against Copyright Theft. It's an organisation that was set up back in the 80s to combat films being recorded on VHS in those days, of course. Um, and over the years, it's taken many turns through the technological advances into DVDs, recordable DVDs, and, uh, and finally into where we are at the moment with just about everything being streamed uh, and still with some downloading as well. And so our job is to protect the content of those organisations who are members of ours. So some independent film studios in the UK with major broadcasters such as um, Sky and BT Sport, Virgin Media, but also sports rights holders like the Premier League. We work with them to see what we need to do to be able to help them protect their content and what action we need to take against people who are stealing their content. So you touched on it there about how you, you were, used to be more primary 
primarily focused on VHS and how things have changed there. And you've been with FACT since 2006, if I'm not mistaken? That's correct, yes. And so how have you really seen piracy evolve over that time? Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey, actually, because um, when, when I joined, it just moved from press discs, press DVDs, which were um, generally coming out of the Far East and imported into recordable DVDs. And, and you remember, used to see the sellers outside Asda's or, or wherever they might be knocking out the uh, what were clearly illegal DVDs in, in those cellophane wrappers. Um, so they weren't trying to sell you a counterfeit, but they were selling you something which was illegally obtained. One of the interesting facets of that was how difficult it was until a film was re- released on DVD, um, how difficult it was to obtain a copy of the new films. And there was so much recording in cinemas at the time, which in itself developed from people taking camcorders into to using mobile phones as they developed. Uh, in fact, people still now are trying to re- legally record films in cinemas to obtain the first copy of that film as, on its release. You're still seeing people recording in cinemas? Yes, it still happens, yes. Yes, yes. Um, and, you wouldn't and think also, so these days with people being so focused on, you know, UHD and, and optimal quality. Yes, the uh, obviously the quality is not there. Um, some are better than others. And in fact, the people who upload these recordings um, actually rate their own quality. So you can see what it is you're, you're looking at. Um, it's usually a few months before a digital recording is available, which then changes things completely. Yeah, it's it's still there's still a, a fight amongst criminals to try and be the first one to get that film uh, out onto the internet. And of course, that has a major impact on uh, the film's release and, and what sort of money it might take at the box office. So, from a technological perspective, what have been the the, the challenges of the shifts towards streaming, as you kind of touched on there versus earlier forms of content theft or do you still view traditional sources of piracy such as card sharing as the primary threat to deal with well actually some of those things still exist that's for sure um but the the i suppose the technological advances that brought us streaming so we I think what happened there was you had something like bbc iplayer it made programs that people wanted to watch available to them at different times and people very very quickly became familiar with streaming and and that's why I think it's uh, it's been so successful and then there are other other elements to that which I can perhaps touch on later in relation to how the film and television companies have had to adapt to, to streaming as well because of the demand but the technological advances for us as an organization were also creative difficulties because we've got to we've got to be up there working alongside what is happening so that we know where the criminals are and when we're chasing them down we've got to be able to do what they can do which is always tricky when you're in a, an enforcement space if you like when you're investigating things you're always a little bit behind the curve and you need to be as near to that same the point they're at as possible um, so it was it's an interesting challenge for us where suddenly you have a physical product which you could actually touch in which you had you collect hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them for, through various raids over the years and then moving into something which is completely intangible, which only exists in, in cyberspace, effectively. And, and so we obviously had to adapt. We had to adapt with the people that we employ, the, the technology and the knowledge and the ability to be able to, uh, to investigate online, as opposed to the old-fashioned way of doing it, which I'm very familiar with myself, about, about investigating things in the physical world. Yeah, a couple of years ago, the big thing... In, um, in content piracy was obviously the Cody box 
And while that particular phenomenon seems to have kind of cooled off, we're still seeing the quite public sale of illegal streaming devices on social media sites. Um, There was a case last month where a man from Greater Manchester was convicted of openly selling and providing support for these modified Raspberry Pi units in a private Facebook group. How is fact working with these social media sites to stop operations like these and do you think that they have you know companies like Facebook and Twitter do you think they have a greater responsibility to police their platforms? So once again um, this was a sort of move away from the traditional idea of of visiting a website and then uh, streaming or downloading a a film or television series so this was this, this whole idea of being more flexible around how you can consume television and film content uh, is something that, of course, the criminals, the illegal providers have picked up on as well. And so moving away from this streaming devices or Kodi boxes, Kodi boxes is just a name really, Kodi is a media player there, there aren't such things as Kodi boxes, but um, everyone seems to know them as that. But uh, yeah, so there's different ways of making these illegal streaming or these streaming devices work for you. Kodi is one, one way of doing that, Raspberry Pi is another. So you take a device like an Amazon Fire Stick, and and you adapt it to be used to enable people to to access through the web thousands of films and live sports and so on. And then, of course, you sell that, uh, and, and people pick it up and start using it. And it's the sale of those devices which is the problem, which is why we go after the people who are in that sale and distribution model. Uh, they're the people we want to catch because they're harming um, the industry so much. Then the difficulty we have. With, when we go forward trying to catch them is is working with the likes of Facebook and Twitter and other social media accounts. We can get what we need from them. I think they can do more. I do think there's a an element there of um, they've got a social responsibility to do more. Um, there are various arguments they put forward. There are various things they say about how much they do cooperate. I, I just think there's more can be done in this space. And um, it, it's going to be an ongoing topic for discussion for quite some time yet. And you say about those modified devices that that it's very easy for people to buy them, modify them and then sell them on. But it is, it's almost just as easy if you've got a guide online for me to go on Amazon, buy um, a, a, a Fire Stick, for example, and then just find a guide online because these things are so open source these days for me to just download an app and put that on the device and then I've basically done that work myself and created this illicit streaming device. Do you think that people just aren't aware of the ramifications of doing that? Oh I don't know, <laughs> I hear this a lot, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not convinced. Um, I think I think there's a willful blindness to it, mm. um, I think people make excuses for themselves. Every, everybody knows you have to pay for, for the latest films, the latest TV series if you're watching pay tv pay, pay tv has been around this country for 25 years plus i would guess everyone knows you have to pay to watch live sports much as you would rather see it have it free to air on bbc and itv it doesn't work like that so i i, I don't think i don't think people know that uh, can say that i hear it all the time oh it's confusing you know it's it, it looked it looked realistic and i accept there is a very realistic look to a lot of offerings and sites and and sales and so on but but really Come on, you know, if, you, if you're not buying it from Sky or Virgin or BC Sport or whoever, then you're clearly not buying a legal product. We've touched on the growth in online video consumption and how it's easier than ever for people to access streaming sites and Netflix and things. But 
something we cover a lot is the seemingly endless launch of these new premium streaming services and it seems as though every other week there's a new one launching that's oh it's just a five a month here seven quid there and then it, it becomes kind of an unmanageable mess for lots of people do you think that the continued content fragmentation and rising costs to access content in in particular sports has led to and will continue to lead to piracy i don't i don't know and the reason i say that is because things are changing all the time you know the, the offerings are now much more flexible and and they're going to become more flexible as we go forward so they the idea of the straightforward monthly subscription and this is what you get is probably um on the way out it probably not exist in that format going forward there will be there'll be ways you can have a much more flexible approach to what you want to watch one of the difficulties is though um is is the different numbers of ones so do you know do you do you subscribe to netflix and disney plus and amazon prime and sky and bt sport and so on and uh, i know that within the industry they're always looking at ways of making the offerings the legal offerings more attractive to the customer but of course these things necessarily move much more slowly than the illegal market because there is a necessity um, to do things legally and and fairly and to the benefit of the consumer and to make sure there's security for the consumer as well and that the product they're offering is safe so these things take a long time to move forward but i do understand that you, you, there are possibly too many uh, potential markets out there at the moment i but i also see you know people do buy they do subscribe if it's a fair price mm. i think you'll find people to subscribe and they are at the moment and they will continue to do so with these streaming sites it's also seen the growth of black market trading of passwords what's being done to tackle that believe it or not that's actually quite a niche market um, because once you're operating on the dark web, that's not necessarily accessible to all. One of the successes of the illegal market, if you like, is it's been going out into the mass consumer market, and and that's not where the dark web is. So that area is where you have those who are much more in control of the illegal offerings are, and and that's an area where we do work with our with our members and clients to look at those people behind it. That's the important bit, is getting those people behind it. We've always got a message for the consumers, but for those who are behind it and, and working in areas where they're trying to evade detection by us, that's the area where we're working. More broadly, we've seen service providers moving towards aggregating multiple apps and IP services rather than acquiring lots of these rights themselves. And that, along with the development of more a la carte consumption habits that you've mentioned how how do you see the impact of shifts in the distribution impacting security and who do you think is really responsible for maintaining that security well the 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 individual rights holder so that might be the person or the company that constructs a film or television program then who they sell it to so you have a you have a joint responsibility there so if the premier league it's a Premier League content is then sold into a license for Sky or BN or whoever to use, then there's a responsibility at both levels for um, protecting that content. And, and, they, and those companies do that. Um, they, they do extensive work in protecting their content. So the security is all part of that as well. And um, the offering for the consumer, the security side, that is very, very important. And, and one of the big things that of course is it's mentioned a lot. I think people think there's a lot of scaremongering. One of the big things about the illegal offerings is how you offer your home computer up to 
scams and malware and phishing and pornography adverts and, and god knows what else and also with some of these uh, isds as well we found that they're generally they're not safe electrically doesn't mean they're all going to blow up on you catch fire but they're, they're not safe electrically so there's lots of issues around the illegal offering which are always covered off with the legal offering and that takes time to put into place you obviously come from you as we mentioned you've, you've been with fact for a long time now and before that, you spent an even longer amount of time working with the police. <laughs> Can you talk us through the nature of FACT's relationship with the police and how you work together to clamp down on and convict pirate operations? One of the things that's, that became very obvious in policing, maybe sort of from about 25 years ago, is how, how important it was to work with private bodies and private individuals um, in this sort of public-private partnership. It's a phrase that's been around for quite some while, but it does work. There is cooperation there. It's beneficial to the police and it's beneficial to the likes of the Crown Prosecution Service and trading standards and so on, to have or to be partnered with and to work effectively with organisations like FACT. Um, When I I joined FACT, it already had a reputation um, around the country uh, with law enforcement, that they were dependable, reliable partners who produced a good product. And that's one of the, the key things for me. And one of the things I've pushed even more since I've been there is we make sure we produce only the highest quality product so that when we go to the police, they can be confident they're dealing with something that has been professionally produced and, and to the highest evidential standards. That in itself then uh, maintains the relationship, improves the relationship. It goes it becomes even better and across law enforcement they do know a fact and i my view of of it all along and it's something i I tell my staff all the time we have to be the best so that when we go to law enforcement nobody can find fault with us when we go to court nobody can find fault with us when we go to the cps nobody can find fault with us that as i say makes that relationship even stronger Um, and that's been an important part of how i've developed facts since i've been there Before we go on with the rest of the interview with Kieran, I wanted to take a pause for the cause to let you know about the Video Tech Innovation Awards taking place December 8th at Church House Westminster in London. The Video Tech Innovation Awards are Digital TV Europe's way of celebrating the advancements and innovations in video services and technologies made over the past year. Now in their second edition, the Video Tech Innovation Awards are made up of a total of 14 categories, including the two new categories, the Sustainability Award for a company or organization that has gone above and beyond when it comes to improving the video distribution industry's environmental impact on the world and the Innovation and Ingenuity Award, which highlights an individual or company that has shown an outstanding ability to succeed despite the challenges thrown up by the COVID-19 crisis. The deadline to submit your entries is Friday, August 28th. And for more information, head to videotechinnovationawards.com or visit the Digital TV Europe website at digitaltveurope.com. Now, back to the second part of our interview with FACT CEO, Kieran Sharp. So you've mentioned that you work closely with the police. Another of your partners is the Premier League. Looking at the Premier League as an example, talk us through what FACT does on an average match day and the technologies being deployed to identify and shut down pirate strings of matches. Yeah, so our our involvement on match days is, is very, very limited. So there's a, a particular 
provider of technology that, that helps the Premier League in terms of being able to shut down, as you say, or at least inhibit on, in some way, shape or form, um, illegal live offerings on, on match days. So that's that's not our area, although we work closely with the software provider that I've mentioned. But there is there's an ongoing relationship between us and the Premier League about all aspects of how they protect their content and, and then what we can do in other areas, perhaps taking the data that they find on a Saturday afternoon um, and taking that data and going for those people behind uh, the accessibility of the live matches, the live broadcasts. And you've seen some of the uh, people that have been convicted in recent times because the, all the information's uh, on our website and you see the media reports. And that's, that's our area of expertise, I guess, is, is taking it the, the next stage through from what happens to try and inhibit or prevent illegal broadcasts through to who's behind it. We investigate and then with the, the bigger cases, we prosecute. The return of the Premier League, we've uh, you must have had a bit of a respite not having to deal with all that piracy going on. But we've uh, seen the Premier League come back and in particular of interest is the suspension of the 3pm blackout. And those are matches which normally would only be viewable to people in the UK, either live in person in the stadium or online via pirate streams. And the UK is really the only major market to still enforce this blackout. And if you compare that to Spain and how they've shifted their kickoff times in, in recent years to make all of the Liga matches available to watch, do you think that getting rid of the blackout in the UK would help in the fight against piracy? Do you know, I don't know, because um, many other games, all the other games are, are legally captured somewhere and, and, and distributed online uh, or made available for people to see. So I don't think I don't think the 3 p.m. situation is unique. I do think that there, it will be looked at. I suspect that the experiences of the next, well, now and the next three months or so, um, possibly even longer, will be examined to see what this might look like going forward, whether they would take lessons from what they see in Spain or, and learn lessons from what they're seeing now and whether they feel that those lessons say, yes, we can, we can afford to move away from the protected 3pm matches. I just don't know. I don't think anybody does at the moment, but I don't think anybody would not look at it. I think everybody will be examining the evidence and see what um, what's the best solution going forward. One of the most striking things that we've seen in a, a lot of well, there have been a lot of court cases recently that have been quite prominently mentioned in the news. And one of the most striking things about a lot of these cases is the international nature of them. Uh, in the past couple of months, we've seen rulings in Russia and Denmark in favour of sports leagues. Are you seeing this trend of piracy becoming more international? Um, I think the, the internet, ever since, well, the international element has always been there because various organised crime groups behind VHS and DVDs and so on in the past. Um, it's a different it's a different world now, but it's it's still very much um, international and you have to have a capability and you have to be partnered with people who can act in certain countries for you. So you will find maybe uh, somebody feels that the, the heat is on in the UK and, and their servers will be based in Panama and they'll be registered in Moldova or something like not picking on those countries it could be anywhere <laughs> and and you need therefore cooperation to be able to take take action 
because you just mm -hmm. can't take action through the British courts in these sort of circumstances. The one I think you're referring to is the La Liga one, which is just recently, which was a, which is a great piece of work. Uh, we actually weren't involved in this because it didn't affect us directly, but I think it was the Motion Picture Association and others working through uh, with La Liga through Europol, I believe it was. I'm just trying to make sure I've got my facts. And th this, there's an important area here where you're demonstrating to international law enforcement the scale of the problem in terms of monetary gain and, and loss and harm to the industry and therefore enabling them to take action because of the size of the issue involved. And you do get um, some great results. I mean, that one is just a fantastic result. It's, it's gone really well and uh, you know, it, it goes to show what can be done. But you do have to look at everything as an international problem. The international problem creates creates problems for those investigating because you then moving into an international arena, you know, what, what can you do with international law enforcement, what can you do with international judiciary and so on? These operations have been largely uh, pirate groups, organisations maybe across different countries, but they're, they're private citizens, as it were. Without naming any particular names, we're also seeing a, a, a rise in state-sponsored piracy. Do you see this becoming an increasing problem in the coming years? No, I don't actually. No, I, 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 I'm a little bit surprised at those events. Um, we, what we've seen all along is, yes, some, some organised crime groups very much involved in, in many countries with piracy, with stealing content right across the IP industries and, and not just in the audiovisual industry. And you see some people who are nowhere near the traditional organized crime groups that we know of and are made even romantic through Hollywood or whatever. But we, we see people forming into groups and, and are organized and committing crime. And there's so many developments from so many different countries. I, I, I see it purely as criminals making money and, and not as something that's, um, that's going to become a state issue going forward. Going forward, you're always having to keep one step ahead of the criminals, as it were, and predict what's going to be happening with them how do you think that piracy is going to evolve over the next few years and how are you looking to tackle it well it, it's always difficult to predict um especially with technology because uh, that changes things so you make you make assumptions based on what you know and then technology changes that so i, I don't know what's around the corner with technology and where that might, might be. but what i am seeing is because of the greater flexibility uh, that's of content that's being made available to the consumer. It's probably offering more choice for the legal provider as well for the criminals behind it. And and so we've got to be smarter than them or as smart as them in how we tackle them, how we prevent them, uh, because that's the best way. And if we can do prevention rather than cure, that's the best way forward. Um, and th and that's not easy. So there is a constant need for us to adopt every single tactic we can think of and adapt every single tactic we can think of um, to go after the criminals. And some of that is around prevention, as I've mentioned, some of it is around deterrence, dismantling of organisations and groups, through to detection and eventual prosecution, perhaps. So we've got to use all the tools that we've got and keep an eye on whether those tools are effective or not. But the most effective thing that you can do is not just one thing, it's lots of different things. And then to be relentless when you're taking that sort of action. Um, these None of these things are, are one-off. You can't do one thing and then say well I've done that now um, that should have solved the problem because it's um, this this problem will never be solved completely what we try to do is do so many things relentlessly as I say so many things in so many ways that we make an impact upon the 
um, illegal content scene. I think we've been doing that and I think we will continue to do that, but we very much have to be aware of changes as they come and be ready to adapt ourselves um, once we're aware of them. Normally in this sort of situation, I would ask, what are you working on? What's next? What What's the next 6, 12, 18 months looking like for you? But in, in a in a case like yours, I think your your job is more keeping cards close to the chest. So I, uh, I don't know if there's much you can tell us about what to expect in the future from fact. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> um, I'd love to be able to <laughs> to tell you a bit. There, there's, there's more to come of what you've already seen. Um, and there are hopefully some some new areas where we've been attacking, which you'll see some activity on that as well. Um, but it's, of course, um, something I can't really discuss. Uh, but it just follows on naturally from what, we, what I've just been talking about, where we, we look to see where we can make an impact and what are those areas perhaps where we've never been before. In a, in a technological sense particularly and where people are where we've never looked before so that's what we that's what we're trying to do and that's what i think you'll see in the next um, six months 12 months 18 months turning over more rocks yes yeah. definitely yeah. <laughs> great well thank you very much for coming on and i'll speak to you soon yes thank you no problem at all john cheers thank you bye-bye thank you bye-bye <laughs>